Good morning. Thank you for joining us today for the briefing on the results of the post-2011 flood analysis of Missouri River main stem flood control storage. I am Monique Farmer, and I will moderate this morning's call. Before we begin, I want to just make sure that General McMahon is on the line. Sir, are you are you there? Good morning, Monique. Yes, I am. How do you read me? Over. We hear you fine, sir. Thank you. Okay. This call will be recorded in its entirety. Your participation acknowledges your consent to be recorded. The agenda for this morning's call will be as follows. We will receive opening remarks by Brigadier General John R. McMahon, Commander of the Northwestern Division of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, then Jody Farhat, Chief of the Missouri River Basin Water Management Division, will give us a presentation on the report results. And then we will take questions by state. We will use a forced mute function during this call. To, un to unmute your line during the call, please enter star six. This function does not work on all phones, so please be aware that if this mute function does not work on your phone, all others on the call will be able to hear your conversation. A press kit that includes biographies of the presenters, an executive summary of the report, and information about the basin can be accessed from the link in your media advisory. That link will take you to our Water Management Division website. It was made live this morning at 10 a.m., so if you have not already done so, please bring that information up on your computer screen so that you may refer to any uh, information in it on your hard copy printout or on your computer screen. We will offer this conference in podcast format in iTunes. Follow the iTunes link from your media advisory or go to iTunes and run a search for Missouri River Basin Water Management to download the call by close of business today. We will now begin with opening remarks from Brigadier General John McMahon. Monique, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Great. Well, thank you, and, and thank you all for joining us today. Um, appreciate the uh, the media being uh, interested and, and continuing uh, to follow uh, the unfolding of uh, the follow-through that the Corps and other agencies, the states, other federal agencies have um, uh, invested in uh, responding to the flood of 2011. This, this particular report that we'll describe today is born out of uh, one of the six recommendations that came out of the Independent External Panel uh, Review back in December of 2011. And it really begins to address the, the, the question of reallocation of flood control space. Questions like, uh, is 16.3 million acre feet of uh, storage dedicated to flood control enough? Uh, if not, how much more would we need? And what might be the impacts to the other authorized purposes? So, so what this report does uh, for us in the basin is it begins a dialogue in the basin to help discern what we might do in the future to reduce flood risk, to increase performance of the system and its resilience, to minimize damage due to events like we endured during 2011. It's a high-level report, it, and it's uh, leveraged uh, existing data and, and uh, uh, existing models. But, but the, um, the real, the real uh, I think, uh, takeaway from the report is that what we have here in the Missouri River Basin 
and the Missouri River main stem system is a volume problem. And what I mean by that is um, what comes into the system has to go out of the system every year because if, if what comes in doesn't go out, then we start the next year with less flood control space than, than uh, historically we've needed. So, so if you just think about the math associated with last year, where we had 61 million acre feet of, of runoff of water come into the system, and if you just divide that and do the math by 365 days and do the transition from acre feet to uh, flow over the course of a day, you come up with uh, a daily, every second of every day for 365 days, you, you have to pass 83,500 cubic feet uh, per second of water uh, for, for 365 days. And that number, 85, excuse me, 83.5 thousand uh, acre or cubic feet of water surpasses the past uh, previous record release of 70,000 cubic feet per second. And then when, when you just look at the problem a slightly different way in the context of um, three months of the year, we have uh, ice on the river and ice on the reservoirs, in which time we can only release about 30,000 cubic feet per second, um, and then the other 275 days, what that translates into then is a release, release, release rate of over 100,000 cubic feet per second, again, which uh, is, is way over the previous high of, of 70,000. So you can see that, that whatever we do, we're, we're very challenged by what we saw last year in terms of getting that volume of water that is brought into the system out of the system to be ready for the next year. So, so the, the takeaway of all that is that what we've got to do here is take a systems approach, that, that flood control space, the reallocation of space in the reservoirs by itself is not going to solve the problem, that in fact what we've got to be looking at is the, uh, the, the um, channel uh, capacities between the reservoirs and downstream of the last reservoir, Gavin's Point. And we've got to ensure that, that those channel capacities are capable of handling whatever the amount of water uh, uh, that we release at uh, is, is accommodated. So, so that's, the, that's the other big component of this problem is that we've got to have adequate cha uh, channel capacity to accommodate whatever flow we decide to. Now, we'll, I think the report uh, points to the fact that, that uh, had we had some additional flow, uh, flood control storage space, it would have reduced the, uh, the level of flow uh, somewhat, uh, but it still would have exceeded, I think, uh, the, the previous high of 70,000, and, and Jody Farhat will get into that here in a minute. But I want to thank you all for um, being with us today, and I plan to uh, stay on the call and uh, participate in the Q&A at the end. And with that, I'll turn it over to Ms. Far Farhat. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Um, and thank you, everyone, for joining us in today's call. My remarks today will provide a brief summary of the report, which was posted on the website this morning, and my talk will cover the following key topics. The purpose of this analysis, some background and discussion of the methodology used, a discussion of the limitations of this analysis, a summary of the economic impacts, and finally, the conclusions. 
Much more detailed information is included in the executive summary and in the report itself, which is posted on our website. This analysis was initiated as a result of the record 2011 flood event in the Missouri River Basin and was one of the six recommendations of the independent review panel that, re that examined the Corps' regulation of the reservoir system during the 2011 flood event. The primary purpose of this analysis was to examine how additional flood control storage may improve flood risk reduction in the future. The analysis also provides a limited investigation of the impacts of providing additional flood control storage on several congressionally authorized project purposes. So first, a little background on how the mainstream reservoir system is managed to provide flood risk reduction. Flood control regulation of the reservoir system is centered on the concept of capturing water in the reservoirs during periods of high runoff, which typically occur in the spring and early summer, and evacuating it later in the year at the lowest possible rate over a long period of time to reduce flood, flood damages in the downstream reach. A key objective in this operation is to evacuate all of the flood water stored in the six reservoirs prior to the start of the following runoff season. Flood water is not carried over from year to year because doing so would limit the ability of the reservoir system to reduce flood risk in subsequent years. This means that all of the runoff that occurs in the basin in any given year must be released from the reservoir and must pass through the downstream river reach prior to the start of the next runoff season. Now on to the study methodology. For this analysis, a two-step process was followed. The first step was to determine the potential effect of additional flood control storage on the 2011 reservoir releases. The second step utilized flood control storage levels determined in the first step to evaluate the potential economic impacts of increase in flood control storage on flood control, navigation, hydropower, water supply, and recreation. Under the first step, a range of scenarios was to develop to determine the volume of additional flood control storage necessary to limit Gavin's Point peak release. For the 2011 flood volume of 61 million acre-feet, limiting peak releases from Gavin's Point Dam to 140,000 cubic feet per second would require an additional 0.9 million acre-feet of flood control storage above and beyond the existing 16.3 million acre-feet. Limiting releases to 120,000 would require 2.6 million acre-feet, and limiting releases to 100,000 would require 4.6 million acre-feet of additional flood control storage. Under the second step of the analysis, these three flood control storage scenarios were modeled over the period of record dating back to 1930 to determine the impact of this additional flood control storage on reservoir levels and releases, and thus the other authorized project purposes. Because the degree of impact varies depending on how the alternative is implemented, and in particular whether or not the navigation and winter release rule curves are adjusted, each storage scenario was modeled twice. First, the storage scenario was modeled with the existing navigation and winter release rule curves, and then it was modeled again with the rule curves lowered an amount equivalent to the additional flight control storage volume. For comparison purposes, the no-action alternative, which has the existing flood control volume of 16.3 million acre-feet, was also modeled. Output of this reservoir modeling includes reservoir levels and releases for all six reservoirs, 
In addition, it includes, it includes flows at key gauging stations throughout the basin for the 80-plus year period of record. This output is then used to determine the potential economic effects on flight control, navigation, hydropower, water supply, and recreation. It is important to understand the limitations of this analysis. This report is not intended to be a complete analysis of the impact and is not intended to be a decision document. Rather, this analysis is intended to be a launching point for broader discussions within the basin about the desirability of increasing flood control storage. This and many other post-flood reports will be useful in guiding the path forward. This report includes a limited investigation of the potential impacts on some of the authorized purposes. It does not attempt to describe, to describe impacts to cultural resources or to the environment, including impacts to threatened and endangered species. We simply did not believe we could adequately address these important issues in the short time we had available for the study, but they are very important and would no doubt be impacted by any change to the flood control storage in the reservoir system. In particular, coordination and or consultation with the tribes would be needed to gain a better understanding of the impacts on tribal resources and how to avoid, minimize, or mitigate any adverse effects. Other limitations of the report can be summarized as follows. This analysis does not incorporate future climate change scenarios that might alter the frequency and magnitude of high and low runoff events represented in the historic record. The analysis did not include alternatives that incorporate multi-year flood control regulation or new storage projects, nor did it present an updated stage damage relationship at key downstream locations. And finally, economic models developed for the master manual study were used for this report. These models were not updated to 2011 economic conditions. However, we believe that the relative differences between alternatives can still be examined and remains a valid representation of the impacts of changing the regulation of the system utilizing the best available information. Now on to the summary of economic impacts. Flood control is the only authorized project purpose that requires empty space in the reservoirs. Therefore, the other authorized purposes, all of which require water and storage to maximize benefits, would experience negative impacts with additional flood control storage. The analysis shows that when compared to the no-action alternative, the total average annual benefits of the reservoir system decrease as the amount of additional flood control storage increases. The reduction in total average annual benefits is, for the most part, due to the negative impacts to the authorized purposes, including navigation, hydropower, water supply, and recreation. This loss of economic benefits to other purposes is not offset by an increase in flood control benefits on an average annual basis. When analyzed over the period of record, there was no significant increase in average annual flood benefits for any of the alternatives when compared to the no-action alternative. The largest increase in flood benefits was less than 1%. However, when 2011 is considered alone, flood control benefits show a 1.5 to 3% increase as flood control storage increases. Details regarding the impacts on the other four purposes can be found in the executive summary and in the report itself. 
Many of the impacts noted here are a result of the general lowering of the upper three reservoirs, particularly during periods of extended drought. Results of this period of record simulation show that minimum reservoir levels during the most recent drought, which extended from 2000 to 2008, would have been as much as five to six feet lower with the 4.6 million acre feet of additional flood control storage. And finally, the conclusion. This analysis showed that providing additional flood control storage in the mainstream reservoir system would enhance flood risk reduction in a repeat of the 2011 flood event. However, due to the tremendous volume of water that must be moved through the reservoir system, record releases would be required regardless of the amount of flood control storage provided. If flood control storage were increased by approximately, by approximately 30% with the 4.6 million acre feet, peak releases could potentially be reduced from 160,000 cubic feet per second to 100,000 cubic feet per second. These lower releases would reduce flood risk below the reservoirs, but would not have prevented widespread damages. The lower basin has experienced several years, 2010 being the most recent, when downstream flooding has occurred primarily due to runoffs from rainfall events below the reservoir system, rather than the reservoir releases. Additional flood control storage may reduce flood risk on the lower river during certain types of runoff events, However, peak downstream flows and maximum stages cannot be reduced in all events. This is due to the difficulty in predicting flood-producing rainfall below the system. The ability to reduce downstream river stages depends on the timing and the peak timing of the peak flows and the distance from the control point. Therefore, flood control storage in the reservoir system is just one piece of the solution. Increasing channel capacity and reducing encroachment in the floodplain are two of the many additional methods to effectively reduce flood risk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jody. For those who may have joined us late, um, this call is being recorded in its entirety and can be retrieved from the CORE website or from iTunes by no later than close of business today. We will now begin the question and answer portion of today's uh, call. Just a reminder, please press star six to come off mute if you do have a question. We will begin with the state of Iowa, and I'd ask any congressional delegation members or representatives on the line if you have questions. Any members with the state of Iowa? Tribes with Iowa? Local government for Iowa. Okay, moving to the state of Nebraska. If we have any congressional delegation members on the line with Nebraska who have questions, please press star six to come off mute. Okay, and let's go back to Iowa because I forgot to ask press for the state of Iowa if you have questions. It's star six to come off mute. Okay, back to the state of Nebraska, do we have any state representatives for Nebraska on the line with questions? Tribes? Local government for Nebraska? Press, state of Nebraska. Hi, this is Nancy from the World Herald. Can you hear me? Yes, Nancy. Um, what does it mean to increase channel capacity? H how do you do that and who has the authority to do that? 
So, Nancy, this is uh, General McMahon. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, um, you know, the uh, the original uh, 1944 Flood Control Act uh, that authorized uh, the, the system, which included the downstream uh, flowways and uh, in between the uh, reservoir uh, flowways, um, you know, the, 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 the levees that were envisioned in that original uh, authorization, some of them were never built. Uh, in other cases, they weren't um, separated by uh, the recommended distances to accommodate 100,000 cubic feet per second flows. In addition to that, what, what we have is uh, a lot of uh, aggradation, that is the accumulation of, of soil deposits and whatnot uh, in, in the flowway, and, uh, and channel degradation uh, and, and other things that have occurred through the life cycle of the river. So um, what, what we're suggesting here, and, and your question about, you know, do we have the authority is a really good one. Um, and, and I guess the, the short answer is no, not really, uh, not, not beyond that which we've already done. And, of course, authority is only one piece of the puzzle. The other is an appropriation. Um, so... I would answer your question this way, that, that um, if we were to do something um, uh, significant in this regard, that is to increase the capacity of the flowway, it, it would require additional authority or new authority. Over. But, but uh, I, I don't understand what that actually means. Does that mean dredging the river? Does that mean carving out new wetlands? I, that's what I'm asking. How, how do you actually physically increase capacity? Yeah, so there's, there's many ways. Uh, setting the levees further back um, is, is one. Um, dredging is problematic, and, and, and so that, that's not really a feasible one. Uh, but, but generally, it's, it's uh, moving the levees further back to accommodate uh, whatever uh, flow that you want to design an improved system to. So there's kind of the upshot of this report that the reservoir system <clears throat> and discharges are so limited in what, I mean, they're limited in that the real alternative to dealing with last year's flooding is is downstream creating more space, levees further back, people not building on the res, on the floodplain, both of which would be a hard sell. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And so, so I mean, you, you make a really good point that, that um, you know, floodplain development is one of the big challenges that we have. And, it, and it's, you know, highways, it's, it's uh, bridges, it's, it's farmland, it's small towns and, and big cities. I mean, all those um, uh, characteristics of the floodplain are, are existing. So, you know, we, we need to take a very deliberate approach and consider what is. I mean, we're not going to be able to turn the clock back uh, in that regard. But, but the point is, I mean, if we're serious long-term about uh, being able to accommodate an event uh, like occurred in 2011, we're, we're going to have to change the way uh, the, the floodplain is viewed. And, uh, and this is uh, an all-levels-of-government proposition. It's not just the federal government. Local zoning laws and, and uh, you know, development and, and all that needs to be thought about in, in a new light. And, oh, by the way, you know, this... These these kinds of uh, thoughts were were captured after the '93 flood in the in the Galloway report of 1994. So, you know, if anything, the 2011 event reminds us uh, of what we learned, you know, just a couple of decades ago after the '93 event. And 
you know, the, the, the sad truth is that, that you know, we're, we will have another event, maybe not in our lifetime, but in the future there will be another extreme event like we saw in 2011. And now's the time to, to marshal the, 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 the uh, will and, and the resources to do something about it so we don't have a repeat of the, of the uh, event of 2011. And then I just have a technical question. I don't understand how to interpret the um, benefit numbers, a 1% additional benefit, a 3% additional benefit, either for flood control or economic um, impact. So I'm going to ask Jody to answer that question, Nancy. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, Nancy, what we did is we looked at the change in economic benefit compared to the no-action alternative, which is having 16.3 million acre-feet. So if we increase the flood control storage and we look at the, how that storage would have affected our operation over the historic record going back to 1930, we can compute the economic benefits over that period of record and then we compare those benefits to the, 20, or to the existing condition benefits. So when you say that there's a 1% reduction in increase or whatever in flood control benefits. Do you mean that flooding is 1% less bad or that the damage or economic damages are, you know, 1% dollar-wise less serious? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. On, on that, um, what we are saying is that if you look at over the period of record, the average right. annual flood benefits provided right. by the main stem reservoirs, that your benefits would increase as much as 1% if you have additional flood control storage in, in dollars, right. Okay. And then another question, I, um, I appreciate your time. Um, did you look at how much, the res how much lower the reservoirs would be under that 30% reduction, 30% increase in storage base? I, I believe that with the 4.6 million acre feet, uh, the upper three reservoirs would be lowered about six, six feet. About six feet. So we would lower the top of the conservation pool about six feet under these alternatives. Now, certainly, you know, if we were to do a reallocation flood control storage, we would want to uh, look at other things like is is it right to spread that equally among the reservoirs based on elevation or based on storage or based on the typical types of runoff we get where the runoff normally comes in. So the, what we did is we lowered each of the reservoirs about six feet to get the 4.6 million acre feet. But that's certainly just one of the infinite number of possibilities you could use to get that 4.6 million acre feet. And I just have two last questions. Can you please explain why you didn't look at an alternative in which you lowered the reservoirs enough to have prevented this year's flooding? Does that make sense? And And, and, I, and could you reiterate that you guys aren't making any recommendation, right? You're not recommending this $4.6 million. Right. Um, we are certainly not making any recommendations in this report. It was just to uh, be a discussion point and to answer some questions. Um, and the answer to your first question, why we didn't look at lowering them enough, goes back to that volume issue that the general talked about. Um, it is impossible to get releases any lower than about 100,000 CFS because of the sheer volume of water that we're passing through the reservoir system in a 12-month period. Um, that gets back to his, his opening remarks. And so 
even if the reservoirs had no water in them, if you want to end up a year later exactly where you started, you have to pass the 61 million acre feet of water through the reservoirs and through the downstream river reach, and that requires releases of about 100,000 CFS for uh, a long period of time. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Nancy. Do we have any other members of the press from the state of Nebraska on the call who have questions? And it's star six to come off mute. Okay, we will move to the state of Missouri. And I'd ask any congressional delegation members on the line who have questions to press star six to ask your question. Anyone with the state of Missouri on the line with questions? Local government. I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you want media yet, or you from the state of Missouri? I'm sorry, what's your name? This is Mike Lear, Missouri Ned. Were you ready for media? I'm sorry. Yes, go ahead, Mike. Sure, thank you. Um, I've got quite a few questions answered with the, your previous conversation with the lady from Nebraska, but let me follow up on a couple of things. So are you saying that increased storage then would not benefit flood control, or are you saying that when balanced against other uses, it's not cost-effective, or, or is it a little both? Um, what the analysis showed is that in a very large flood like 2011, additional flood control would provide significant benefits. However, if you look at that over the uh, period of record, because this was a rare event and most years you don't need that additional flood control, it doesn't make a very large change in that flood control benefits, uh, less than 1% in all cases. Um, and part of the reason is because it changes the way you operate with that storage. If you capture more water in the spring, you still have to release it, and so you're changing the timing of those releases. And, in fact, in some years, the modeling will show that you release it uh, in the fall and, and it becomes coincident with rainfall events and, and damages can actually be increased. Um, and then the other point is that if you look at the of the five economic drivers that we looked at in this uh, analysis, if you look at the total benefits for those five, some of those five, you know, to get a total, adding additional flood control storage results in a net decrease in total benefits, and that's because the negative impacts to the four project purposes uh, recreation, water supply, hydropower, and navigation outweigh the positive benefits to flood control. And of course, there are those who are going to argue that flood control should be, though, the primary purpose. Do you, do you have any uh, thoughts there as to, well, you know, if these other uses are going to have to give up something in order for us to manage floods, but, but based on what you're saying then about uh, the effectiveness of additional storage, it sounds like that doesn't matter. Um, am, I I, interpreting, I think, am I interpreting that right? Um, you know, this, again, we're not trying to make a decision here. We're trying to lay out the facts. And, you know, certainly that's a discussion point is, are the costs of increasing flood control worth 
the benefits that it provides, and that's a discussion point uh, for the basin. Okay. I want to ask you about the term widespread damage, and, and correct me if I'm misquoting here, but I remember you to say that we still would have seen widespread damage in the river basin last year, even had we had additional storage going into it. When you say widespread damage, what do you mean? Is is that to say that we still would have had a major flood last year, and would it have been on par with what we had, even had we had more storage? Right, and I, yeah, that's exactly the point. And if you go to the report itself and look on page 19, I've included a couple examples there to describe why, you know, in 2011, even if we had been able to keep releases at 100,000, we would have had widespread damages. And the two examples I show are, um, if you look at the breach of Levy L575, which occurred on June 5th, if you account for five days travel time from Gavin's Point Dam down to the location of that breach, the levy failed when the effective release of Gavin's Point was about 77,000 cubic feet per second. So even if we had kept releases at 100,000 CFS, that levy was going to fail and it caused significant damages. Um, the other example I included in there was Interstates 29 and 680, just north of Council Bluffs, which were closed on June 9th. Again, if you count back the days of travel time, that closure occurred when the effective release from Gavin's Point was about 100,000 CFS. So those two major impacts to this area right here in, in western Iowa would have occurred even if we had been able to keep releases in the range of 100,000 CFS. Or, or, you know, and certainly, you know, there are impacts that wouldn't have occurred, but it still would have been a tremendous historic flood event. And, and I'll go ahead and, and let you know when I ask this question, because before I did this job, I did a lot of farm news coverage, and I worked with a lot of farm groups, Farmers Union, uh, uh, Farm Bureau, or some of the groups that, that I imagine when they listen to this and when they hear this, one of the first things they're going to focus on is talk of moving levees back. You know, we're talking about taking more land out of farming. They're going to obviously have strong reaction to that. What are your thoughts about how they're going to receive this? Yeah, hey, Mike, this is General McMahon. Again, a good question. And, you know, I think that, that the, the reality is that, that moving levees back doesn't necessarily mean taking farmland out of production because, um, you, you can still farm on the wet side of the levee when it's not flooded there, which is most of the time. And, oh, by the way, there's always what we call interior drainage, that is land taken out of production that's on the dry side of the levee, but because of local drainage, it, it's flooded and it stays flooded because there's no uh, accommodation for draining that field through the levee. So, so the, the, the notion is not it's an either-or proposition. You can have both, and, and in many places in the world and in the country, there are both. And it's finding that happy mid medium that, that uh, is really the challenge here and working with all the stakeholders to, to devise uh, synergistic solutions that, that are win-win, both for the farmer and for the people that depend on that flowage capacity all the way down through the system. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your questions, Mike. Do we have any other members of the press with the state of Missouri on the call who have questions? 
and it's star six to come off mute. Okay, we will move to Kansas, and I'd ask any congressional delegation members on the line if there are questions. State representatives with Kansas, tribes, local government, press, state of Wyoming, congressional delegation members, state representatives, tribes, local government, press, state of North Dakota, congressional delegation members, press star six to come off mute, state of North Dakota, tribes, Local government, press with the state of North Dakota. Hi, my name is Jessica. I'm with KFYR. I'm sorry, is Jessica? Yes, I'm with KFYR. Jessica, your last name, please. Ruth. Could you spell it for me? R-O-O-S-E. Okay, please proceed with your question. Okay. Um, in the report, it says that um, increasing flood control capacity would have negative impacts um, on other parts of the dam, like generating hydroelectricity and providing recreation. Can you explain a little bit about what those negative impacts would be? Sure, this is Jody. Um, if we increase the volume of flood control storage, it, it requires us to lower the reservoir elevations. And those impacts primarily come through, uh, for recreation anyway, during periods of drought. And uh, being from North Dakota, you know that when we go through a period of extended drought and the reservoirs are lowered, it impacts recreation by making access to the reservoirs more difficult. And this is particularly true of the upper three reservoirs. Um, so by adding flood control, we would start a drought at lower reservoir elevations and, and end up in the drought even lower than we would have without providing additional flood control storage and therefore uh, recreation would be negatively impacted. Um, and hydropower is, uh, is also affected, and I guess the, there's a couple different reasons uh, for the impact for hydropower. One of them is because the ability to produce hydropower, the volume of hydropower you can produce, is a function of both the amount of water you release and the the pressure on those hydropower units, or the, we call it the head on the units. So if you lower the reservoirs uh, every day of the year, even passing the same amount of water through the, the turbines, you would produce less hydropower. Um, and the other thing that additional, uh, or additional flood control storage could do is it could change the, the timing of when you release that water. If you're storing more water, in the spring, you end up releasing that water uh, later in the year in the fall. And when we push water into the fall, it has less value than the water that we release in the summer. Does that answer your question? Yeah, can you um, just explain you know, why it would have less value, what that means? Um, the hydropower uh, is is marketed by Western Area Power Administration. And because the demands are highest during the summer, 
uh, air conditioning season and during the winter heating seasons, um, hydropower that is produced in the spring and the fall has less value. Uh, the, you know, it's a supply and demand issue. Okay. And um, also you said that, you know, even if we would have had extra flood control capacity, it might not have um, prevented flooding. We would have still had um, widespread damage. Would it have still been at the capacity that it was in areas like Minot and Bismarck last year? Minot. Uh, well, Minot isn't in the Missouri River Basin, so that wouldn't have any impact. And and certainly if we had additional flood control storage, we could reduce the peak releases out of Garrison. but. It would have been reduced from um, the 150,000 rate that we actually got to to some lower level, but it still would have exceeded the channel capacity in the Bismarck area, which I believe is about 95,000 CFS. And the studies in the back of the report um, tell what those uh, average monthly releases would be under the different alternatives. Um, give me just a second. I can give you an example. So uh, coming here. So under the alternative with uh, 4.6 million acre feet of additional flood control storage, um, peak releases from Garrison would be reduced. Actually, it's quite a bit of reduction to about 78,000 CFS. And if we had um, 2.6 million acre feet of additional flood control storage, they would have been uh, in the low 90s. So it, it still would have been record releases, um, but certainly the impacts in that area would have been less. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you, Jessica. Do we have any other um, members of the press with the state of North Dakota on the line with questions? Okay, we'll move to State of South Dakota. Congressional delegation members on the line with questions. Star six to come off mute. State representatives in South Dakota. Tribal members. Local government. Press in South Dakota. This is Tony Mangan at KCCR Radio. Um, one, the first question I would have is, does this report or study reaffirm what the Corps has been saying for several months, that they really could there was some things they just could not have done given all of the snowpack and, and the rainfall, that while you might have had some storage capability, you just weren't going to be able to, you could not have prevented the flood completely, even if you had more storage capability? Tony, this is General McMahon. I, I would say this. I, I think the report tells me that, that um, the extent of the damage, the, the level of releases uh, could have been reduced from 160, say, to 100,000 uh, cubic feet per second, which, you know, is pretty significant with, I think, the 4.6 million acre feet of additional storage. So, so it's clear that, that with the 30% increase in, uh, in storage capacity, we, this past year we, we could have achieved somewhat less of a, of a release rate, although that release rate still would have exceeded the previous high and still would have done widespread damage. So that's one point. But, but the other bigger takeaway is that if we're really to do something 
long term here, not only might we consider increasing the flood control capacity or reallocating it to be more accurate, but we also need to do something about the in-between, the reservoir runs of the river and the downstream run from Gavin's point. And let me just make another point about it, and that is, you know, we got to remember that what happened in 2011 was markedly different than what happened in 2010, where we had a lot of tributary inflow and a lot of flooding downstream of Gavin's point, none of which would have been mitigated by the flood control capacity of the system. So, you know, every year is different, and the dynamic of the river and the dynamic of the weather interact in ways that nobody can predict very accurately, and we've got to have a system design that accommodates all of these scenarios. And if history and past experience is the teacher here, it's, you know, not only planning for an event like 2011, but thinking back through the years, 2010, where we had mostly tributary inflows south of Gavin's Point and other issues in past experiences. So this idea that we've got to take a system approach and address all aspects of the system, and this will be borne out, I think, in our vulnerability assessment that will be coming out at the end of May that addresses all the things that the leaders in the basin might consider as future investments to improve the performance of the system, reduce flood risk, and improve the resiliency, if that helps. Over. Thank you. Jody, or maybe General, one of the other things is, does this report, is this report going to be used perhaps to talk, you know, you've got a lot of homes, you've got a lot of businesses, you know, up and down the stream, including the Pier 4 Pier area, that are fairly close to the river. Are you going to look at that and maybe look at different things as far as floodplain, increasing the floodplain? I mean, showing folks that maybe being too close to the river, if you start storing more water, could be a problem? Well, you know, I think that people need to understand their flood risk based on where they live relative to the floodplain and facilities like dams and levees. And, you know, you can never eliminate it completely. There's always risk. And that's why flood insurance is a good investment in my mind. But I think, you know, our responsibility is to look at this as a system and to work with state and local officials to communicate that risk and work risk mitigation factors with local and state officials where we all have shared responsibility. So it's a team effort, I guess, is the bottom line of the answer to your question. Over. Thank you. And, Jody, you know, many times last year during the flood, you always said that if you do one thing as far as increasing or lowering the water, you know, there's always a cause and effect. In your mind, if you hold more water, what's the major cause and effect to the other uses or the other priorities of the river? Just to clarify, you mean if we – I don't understand when we hold more water. Well, I'm sorry. If you decide to have more storage space, okay, what's the cause and effect? I mean, how does that change other priorities? Well, you know, having additional flood control storage, because it is the only authorized purpose that requires empty space 
would reduce those benefits that are provided to the other authorized purposes. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, again, a discussion point for the citizens of this basin to decide what's the appropriate use of these federal facilities and how do we balance the benefits to the different purposes. Thank you. Thank you for your questions, Tony. Do we have any other members with the press in South Dakota who have questions? Monique, can you hear me? Yes. This is yes. Jeff Dooley from Dakota Dunes. Hi, Jeff. Um, just maybe a comment or question for uh, uh, General McMahon. Um, very, I'm very encouraged uh, to hear you uh, recognize the, the correlation between increased storage and, and channel capacity. I know there's been a lot of focus on, on just creating more storage, but to create more storage, obviously, you have to move more water through the system. Um, that's, that's very encouraging. Um, channel capacity, I think, is, is just as important uh, as the storage. Uh, you, you mentioned a risk assessment a little bit ago. Um, well, I got a couple of questions. One, uh, will the Corps be reaching out to communities along the river to, to sit down with them and help them uh, evaluate some of their weaknesses um, and, and potential solutions? And the second question is something you alluded to earlier: is your authority um, or lack thereof uh, to, to work uh, in increasing channel capacity is was I hearing that correct, correctly? Is you don't you may not have the authority to do that. Well, Jeff, uh, a couple of points. Uh, um, first of all, the the, the analysis uh, I was referring to uh, we're calling a vulnerability assessment. Um, we're planning to um, conclude it and release it by the end of May, and it is it is going to look at all the things that we've either learned or relearned uh, about uh, flooding in the Missouri River Basin and make a set of recommendations for uh, leaders in the basin, whether they're members of Congress, governors, uh, local officials, uh, federal officials, but leaders in the basin to take into consideration uh, as we go forth uh, under the, the vision of reducing uh, the, the vulnerability of, of people and things in the floodplain uh, over the long term. And, it, and it's going to require, uh, I dare say, a significant effort, a significant investment over time uh, if we're serious about uh, reducing the risk that, that we saw uh, manifest itself in the flood of 2011. Um, now, you know, I spoke to shared responsibility, and I think that at, at various levels of government that there are responsibilities to help citizens and businesses and farmers evaluate flood risk and, and see possible solutions, uh, one of which is, I mentioned one, and it's not a solution per se, but it's a, it's a coping strategy of having flood insurance as an example. But, but I think there are many things like that that, that uh, the Corps, FEMA, uh, uh, the states, uh, local officials have a, a, a shared responsibility for helping citizens, business owners, and farmers to, to understand their risk and, and take uh, risk-mitigating steps. Uh, and, and it includes local zoning laws, future development in the floodplain, uh, moving things out of the floodplain. I mean, there's, there's a wide swath of, of options and opportunities. And, um, you know, it's going to require change, change in attitude, strong public will, and, and, and huge investments over time. Um, and, and then to your last 
point about our authorities. You know, we, we do have extensive authorities within the basin, and, and, and uh, you know, it, it depends on what we're talking about specifically, whether or not we have existing authority or whether we'll need uh, new authorities. But, but I guess what, what I was saying earlier was that uh, if we're really to change things significantly, it'll probably require new authority. Um, we, we'll, we'll be able to do some things within our existing authorities, and we'll certainly leverage those existing authorities uh, given the, the appropriations that must accompany them. But, but longer term and really significant change, I think, might require additional authorities. Over. Thank you. Thank you, General. Yes, sir. Thank you for your questions, Jeff. Okay, do we have any other members of local government on the line with the state of South Dakota with questions? And it's star six to come off mute. Okay, and then I'll do um, another call for members of the press with the state of South Dakota. State of Montana, congressional delegation members on the line with questions. State representatives with the state of Montana, tribe, local government, press in the state of Montana. Do we have any national press on the line? Is star six to come off mute? Do we have any final questions before we conclude today's call? Yeah, this is Nancy again from the World Herald. Can you hear me? Yes, Nancy. I think the general touched briefly on this. What's the next step forward from here? There's a May report coming up. How do we get from where we are now to um, to where we need to be? General McMahon, sir, if you're on the line, you have to press star six to come off mute. Can you hear me okay, Monique? Yes, sir. Okay, thanks. Nancy, thanks for the question. So I, I think there's, um, as we were saying earlier, you know, this, this report is, is uh, you know, another report, uh, again, following through on our commitment uh, to, to follow through on the independent external panel and, and other things that we've learned. We've been, we've been holding these, uh, these twice-a-month calls uh, with, to keep everybody apprised of uh, progress. Uh, on, on the levee repairs and, and the situation with respect to the weather forecast and, and all that. Anyway, I think that, um, and I did mention the vulnerability assessment that we're, we're undertaking, but I, I think what we're really um, trying to do is generate a, a disciplined uh, dialogue within the basin on the basis of, of uh, this kind of information so that, you know, as people reflect on uh, what, what the opportunities to act might be and how they might uh, um, decide to, to uh, take uh, one or more of these uh, initiatives, uh, the resource commitment associated with it, the time and, and all that. Um, I, I, you know, so there's, I think, many avenues um, that, that present themselves. We're continuing the coordination through the uh, Missouri River Flood Task Force. Um, I, I, you know, I, there's, I think that the dialogue needs to unfold uh, now and, and into the future, and, and as, as uh, 
the citizens, the members of Congress, the governors, the, the leaders in the basin begin to, to discern the best path forward, and, and hopefully we do this in a concerted, basin-wide uh, basis of support. Because as you know, you know, in the past there was a lot of tension between the upper and lower basin, and a lot of that's been dissipated by the appreciation for the, the need for uh, enhanced flood risk reduction. So I, I think you know it, it's it's hard to say you know exactly what the the the, the um, actual course will be, but I think through these dialogues and, and discussions and and informed by these kinds of technical reports, I think we'll have um, the the basis for having as much uh, good decision making in the future and, and investment decision making. Uh, that will lead us to a better place long term. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does help. And Representative King out of Iowa has already issued a press release critical of your report saying that it doesn't really address the issue of flood control. Basically, he describes it as incomplete. And um, I think you guys have talked about this. Was there anything more you could have done with flood control? Did you, given what you've seen, and then, and then, if you're already being criticized right now, um, and we went through '93, how realistic is it that we're going to make some progress this year? And is is the kind of progress we need really outside the scope of the core? You know, i.e., giving you more authority isn't something that you automatically do yourselves, and floodplain control and all that stuff isn't your bailiwick. Thank you. That's it. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, you're, you're touching on a couple of things. You know, criticism is is out there um, in, in any case from, from many different camps. So, um, you know, it's part of the dialogue, quite frankly, and uh, I, I think we entertain it uh, with an open ear and a sincere desire to uh, uh, discern the best path forward and not by, not, not by decisions in the core, but by corporate uh, basin-wide decisions by the leadership across the basin, the governors, the members of Congress, and, and so forth. So, so to me, it, it's all part of the dialogue that needs to follow out of the experience of 2011 and past experiences such as 93 and, and 97 and 2010. Um, so to me, it, it's bigger than the core, but the core obviously plays a, a, a key role, maybe not the key role, but a key role in concert with the leaders in the basin, and we're we're trying to um, participate in that in that process with the governors. There's another uh, governors meeting, I think, in uh, the later part of May up in in uh, Bismarck that we've been asked to participate in, and certainly uh, members of Congress, including Representative King from Iowa, you know, we've been talking about uh, the way ahead and, and working together to have. I think he's he suggested this morning that that uh, there be a, a congressional strategy in concert with, with the overall uh, basin strategy for going forward. So I see that as a positive and, and part of the process that we're all participating in. Thank, Thank you. you. Sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your questions, Nancy. Um, one more call for any final questions before we conclude. Okay. Well, just another friendly reminder that the spring public meetings will take place next week starting on Monday, April 16th. Visit our website for the spring public meetings schedule. Also, for those on the call who may be unaware, we do hold twice monthly conference calls to keep the basin informed about the current weather conditions 
and our reservoir release plans. An updated media advisory will be distributed for the next call once the date has been scheduled. I'd like to thank all of you for participating on today's call. We are now adjourned. <laughs>